Please uh, open your Bibles to Genesis 22. I'm going to begin uh, this morning with some reflection on on my own uh, kind of life and ministry here. I'm going to say a number of things and uh, and then I'm going to tell a story. There are not many things. Now hear me say not. There are not many things about my role as the lead minister of our church with which I don't feel comfortable or that I don't enjoy. I enjoy virtually all of it. I'm comfortable with the administrative role that I play in the church office. I'm comfortable helping to take care of those who come to the building for help sometimes. I'm comfortable in visiting people in the hospital. I love sitting down with non-Christians one-on-one and talking to them about Jesus and how they can become Christians. I love being part of a life group and leading a group. I'm comfortable being a life group coach. I feel great about being part of a decision-making team along with the elders and the other staff. I love brainstorming about our future as a church, thinking about how we can set ourselves up to be as effective as possible. I'm totally comfortable with visioning. And planning and learning how to be the best church we can be. I love serving in the church and carrying out all the activities we do together. I love talking about our church and how we can better serve Christ. I'm comfortable with planning for and carrying out our worship on Sunday mornings. I'm comfortable taking advice about how we can do better, about how I can do better. I love studying the Bible, studying theology and doctrine, teaching the Bible, talking about how we can all grow in Christ. I love thinking about biblical truth and doctrinal correctness and helping the church to understand sound doctrine. I love spending time in prayer and worship. I love preaching, sharing with you what God has shown me in Scripture. I enjoy working side by side with Michael and with Peter and with Nancy and the elders and the ministry leaders. It is all good. If there's anything about which I don't really feel comfortable in the role I play in the church of Jesus Christ, it's this. And I'm not being funny, I'm being serious. You always have this smile on your face like you're expecting me to say something here. But there's a big but coming at the end of this. And there is in some sense. Here's the thing I don't enjoy as much. I don't like being considered a motivator slash almost entertainer that churches oftentimes expect from their preacher. That's a role I don't enjoy very much. Somewhere along the line, the church moved the role of preaching the gospel, and I, when I say that, I mean like Peter did on, in Acts chapter 2, or like Paul did when he goes to Athens. Somewhere along the line, we moved that kind of preaching role into the role of being a motivating public speaker who for a few minutes on Sunday morning motivates and encourages. And I think that that's very good in one sense, but I find it difficult to do. Like I find that role a hard one. It isn't just that the truth about Jesus is being shared, but the person speaking has to do it in a compelling way. Otherwise, the church won't hear the message. And I have tried to connect with people emotionally. And, and if I don't, your eyes tend to glaze over. Okay? And pretty soon people start to nod a little bit. And it's not just a nod of agreement. which I, That would be nice, but it's not just that. Or you begin to think about this hockey lockout. Or your mind strays to your checkbook. Or you're thinking about your next holidays 
or about your stocks or about where you're going for lunch, you start thinking about something. And the fact is, is that if I were in your pews, I would have the same experience you have and I would expect the same things. And I know that because for four and a half years, Robin and I went to Dallas and we sat every Sunday at the Allen Church of Christ and listened to a good friend of mine, Keith Mahoney, preach. Keith Maloney, I should get his name right since we're such good friends. And, um, and Keith Maloney would preach every Sunday and he would exhort us and encourage us and I would be just like you. I would be sitting there thinking... Well, he better be good today if I'm going to stay awake. You know, I want him to say something positive and encouraging and blessing. I want him to, in some sense, and this isn't in a negative way necessarily, but in some way, entertain me for the next few minutes. And again, entertainment can be a very good thing. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. But there's some sense about that. And I do get this. I totally get this. I can remember in 1983, it was about the the April 28th or so of 1983, sitting in the balcony almost, the upper level deck at Pepperdine uh, Bible Lectures in their gym, and sitting in, uh, in the seat listening to Lynn Anderson preach. And for those of you who don't know it, Lynn Anderson is a fairly prominent, almost famous preacher among us, and he also has deep Canadian roots. He's from Horse Creek, Saskatchewan. And so Lynn was preaching, and uh, at this point... I didn't have the foggiest clue that I was going to end up in Canada, but I'd known Lynn from Abilene days and certainly knew that he was from Canada. And he started talking about his father, Lawrence, whom I later on met. And many of you, I'm sure, know. He started talking about Lawrence and the impact that his dad had on him. And he told stories about walking through the snow and his dad teaching him about, about what it meant to be out in nature and living life. And it was just a, a moving story. And as he talked about all this, he was talking really about fatherhood. Well, my wife is sitting next to me at that point, eight months pregnant with our first child. And so Lynn is talking about what it means to be a father and the kind of things that fathers should be. And as he shared all of this, I was moved emotionally, deeply. In fact, when he finished, I couldn't leave. I couldn't get up because I was, I was emotionally wrought. I was crying and thinking about my responsibility and what it meant for me to be a father. And and his sermon had moved me to be passionate inside about being a father. And and I wasn't the only one, by the way. Gary Beecham, who had spoken on the opening night of lectures that week and who was the preacher at the Highland Oaks Church in Dallas, when Lynn got done speaking, Gary got up out of his seat and he went to the airport and he got on a plane and he went home from the lectures. He left early. And the reason he did was because it was the last week one of his kids was going to be at home. And he thought, what am I doing in Malibu, California, when one of my children is getting ready to leave the house? And so he left that night, got on like a midnight red eye, and flew back to Dallas so that he could spend the rest of his time with his kids. And that was all in response to Lynn's sermon. So I know that these kinds of moving, gut-wrenching stories about life move us and, and the fact is, is that every preacher notices very quickly that it's the stories that people remember. I tell a story, you come up to me and say, oh, that was so moving, that was a great story. And you remember the stories. I honestly am wanting you to remember the word of God. I'm wanting you to know something more about Jesus. And for your life to deepen in the process. But I also know that there is something positive about this idea of 
feeling something. Like you want to feel something deep. Like this is not just, oh, I want to hear nice stories and be entertained for a while on Sunday morning and then go home and he didn't bore me to tears for 25 minutes. It's not just that at all. Because you want to feel that God has been here. You want to feel as though something I said was making a difference in your life. And you want to connect emotionally in that way. And that is a very good thing. You're serious about your faith. You want it to impact not just your mind, but your whole self. And so that makes totally sense, so it makes total sense to me, all of that. Well, again, I understand all this. Sometimes it's frustrating for me. I love a heart-touching story as much as anyone, but I love more than that. The contact between the human life and the Word of God. And if a story doesn't move you deeper into who God is and deeper into Scripture so that you can understand better who God is, then the story ends up really not doing very much. It's a wonderful thing that Lawrence Anderson was a great father to his son, Lynn. But that's a scriptural principle. And there are lots of great fathers. But there's only one heavenly father. And we need to go back to Scripture and the teaching of Scripture. And so I hope that always there is this scriptural element to what we do, even as we tell stories. Well, for the rest of our time this morning, basically what I want to do is just read a story. It takes just a few minutes. But it's a great story. It's a compelling story. A story that can move us to become what God wants us to be. And so I want you to look with me at Genesis 22, verse 1. I'm just going to read this and make a few comments, and then we'll be done. Are you there with me? Genesis 22. Because I want to tell you a story, but I want it to be a biblical story. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And so God calls him. Here I am, he replied. And, And in that little statement, here I am, I think there is a call to all of us. What are we going to do when God comes and he calls us? Are we going to say, here I am? Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, I don't know what else was said. I would like to think that wasn't it. That that's all there was. But it doesn't say that there was more. He simply says, go, take your son and sacrifice him on a mountain. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And it's interesting. People always point out the fact that he says, we will come back to you. He's expecting something to happen, I think. And it's not just that his son's going to die and stay on a mountain. We will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father... Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? How would you feel when he asked that question of you? 
Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And this time when he says, here I am, there must be a different feeling that he had the first time. Here I am, he replied, and the Bible doesn't say this, but with incredible relief. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Do you get this? This is, um, this is God saying to Mark Lewis, I want you to take Evan and kill him. And there's no Rachel to ease his pain. It's just that. This is Melissa hearing, I want you to take Vaughn and kill him. Without any explanation. There's no discussion. And from Abraham, there is apparently no complaining. Like you don't hear hesitation. You don't hear him say, God, what are you thinking? From what I can tell, he just does it. And here's my question for you. And my question is not... Could you have done this? Could you have done what Abraham did? Could you have taken your child and prepared him or her to be sacrificed? Could you have been the one to hold the knife above your child if God asked you to do that? Could you do that? That's not my question. My question is, will you? Will you answer God's call When he calls. Will you say yes. When God asks you to do the inexplicable. Will you answer when God asks of you to make sacrifices. What if he asks you like the person last week that we heard about. Mike's friend from Seattle. What if he calls you to go to Africa. Will you go. What if he asks you to make sacrifice in a material way? 
Get rid of some of those extras so that someone else could have the basic necessities. Would you do it? What if he asked you to live in less of a home than the one in which you live now so that someone else could have a home to live in? Would you do it? What if he asked you to give up the me time that we always talk about? I need some me time. What if God asked you to give up some of your me time, which seems to me fairly selfish, although I know we need it. But he asked you to give up some of that for him. Would you give it? It's a simple question, really. And I think the text calls this simple question from us. Will you serve if he calls you to do so? Or will you put other things ahead of him? They always say that if you want to find out what's important to someone, simply ask where do they spend their time? Where do they spend their effort? And where do they spend their money? Their time, their effort, and their money. You can tell what's important to people by what they do with their time, their effort, and their money. Where do you spend yours? And I want you to go home today. This is an assignment, church. I want you to go home today and I want you to sit down. You've got all afternoon. And sit down and just talk about your, with your spouse or write down on a list of paper, where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my effort? And where do I spend my money? And at the end, when you do, you're going to be able to put at the bottom, this is what's most important to me. Because that's where I'm spending my time and that's where I'm spending my effort. And that's where I'm spending my money. Don't make excuses. Be honest. And then ask yourself the question, what would you do if God asked you to give some of those things up? What if you had to sacrifice some time for him? What if you had to sacrifice some effort, some focus? What if you had to sacrifice some money. And, and I might say, by the way, I think that the last one is in many ways so much easier for us than the first two. What if he asked you to make sacrifices for his work? Most of us will never be asked to give up a child for God. But what if he had? What if God asked you that of you? What if God said, I would like your son to go and live in Africa for the next 35 years for the cause of Jesus? Could you do that one? That'd be hard. But sometimes God asks that of people. What if God says, I need one evening a week in addition to Sunday morning? What if God said that? Not Kelly, not somebody else. What if God said, I need one evening a week besides Sunday morning? Would you say, that's me time. God, what if God says, I need one person whom you love to go and start building relationships with other people? Because for them to do so means wonderful things could happen in the lives of these people that wouldn't happen otherwise. And so you're going to maybe lose a friend. What if God said, I don't need 10% of your income, I need 15 where would you draw the line and say, can't do anymore, Lord? Right after I became a Christian in 1973, now picture this, I'm 15 years old, and I go to church one Sunday, and afternoon as we're leaving the building, the preacher says to my friend and I, you know, 
As you guys grow in your faith and you start talking to other people about Jesus, you'll be way more effective for him if you cut your hair. It was 1973. I had long hair, if you can believe that. And it was not an easy thing. It wasn't easy to go home that afternoon and wrestle with the question of whether or not I'm going to get my hair cut. Like in those days, if you got short hair, you're a nerd or a geek or a dweeb or whatever other term fits in your generation. And so that wasn't easy. But when I came back to church the next Sunday, my hair was cut. And the reason why is because I felt like God was calling me to do that. I went to a seminar when I was in grade 12. I'd been dating this girl for two years. And I went to this seminar. And like I heard God's voice, I knew that I was supposed to no longer be with her. I drove, the seminar was in Portland. I lived 70 miles away. I got in my car. I drove south 70 miles to my town. I went straight to her house. I knocked on the door and I brutally said, we're done. And she cried and she didn't get it. And I said, it's because God doesn't want me to be with you anymore. I know. I was a kid. But I did it. And what did I get in return? It was a good trade. So God sometimes asks things of us and we need to respond. And he will bless us because we did. In fact, I want you to look at verse 15 and we'll close with this. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. That's good because God... Who is he going to swear by? I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That's what he does when people say, I'm here, Lord. And when we're willing to make sacrifices for him, God blesses not only us, but he blesses the whole world through us. And so get ready, church. When you feel like maybe it's time for you to make sacrifices for Christ, God is going to shower down blessings. Pete, come on up. God is ready to bless us But it's going to happen when all of us decide that we're willing to make sacrifices for him.